Welcome to the Price Lab podcast, a series focusing on digital humanities and how scholars got to where they are now. I'm Stuart Varner, the Managing Director of the Price Lab at Penn. Hello, everyone. My name is Florian Breitkopf, and I'm very excited to be doing this podcast episode today with Hilde de Wert, who is professor of Chinese history at the University of Leiden in the Netherlands and currently member of the Institute for Advanced Study. Hilde, it is wonderful to have you here, and I really look forward to our conversation. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. What brought you to uh, Chinese studies or Chinese history in particular? When I was in high school, so this, this is mid-80s, Chinese history was not at all part of the curriculum, except for one episode in Chinese history that was a cultural revolution. And that sort of piqued my interest. There were certainly other factors as well. In the mid-80s, the media brought constant news about China because there were hopes and aspirations that the doors would go open and this would bring opportunities. So by the time I went to the University of Leuven to, to do Chinese studies, uh, I was one of uh, about 100, 120. We were the largest department for those two years in the humanities faculty. So it was also part of a sort of a wave of interest. I actually wanted to do African studies. And unfortunately, at that point, there wasn't really a coherent program available. And that was not the case for Chinese studies. They had been revamping a program, and you could learn about literature, law, economics, philosophy, history, just about any field, but from a different perspective. When and why did you develop an interest in the digital humanities, and in which context? If I would have to put a year on it, it would probably be around 2010 when I actually started actively exploring digital research methods. And that actually grew out of an interest in communication networks. I was mostly working on people living in the 12th and 13th centuries. And it seemed to me when I was, was going through uh, notebooks that I should take advantage of the work that some of my colleagues had done. For example, Robert Hartwell, back in the 70s, had started to put together a very comprehensive prosopographical database, and that is essentially a biographical database. He had pulled together information about thousands of people, and at this point it's actually hundreds of thousands of people, but at the point when I started it was tens of thousands of people. And that made it possible for me to start exploring various dimensions of that network. So without having to try and do this for, by myself or hundreds of people, I could use data sets that people had brought together already, also geographical data sets, to then map out the geographical dimensions of these networks. And that was really for me the starting point. So I was wondering if you could comment on the presence of the digital humanities at your institution, at European institutions in general, and maybe also on the general acceptance and the status of the digital humanities in European or Dutch academia. I do think of digital humanities as an international field. People collaborate regardless of, of where they're coming from. Nevertheless, I think it is also the case that digital humanities has developed within national contexts and that our national organizations for research have invested in this and as a result of their investments have also established certain frameworks within which to work. One big difference in Europe 
the Ministry of Education decides a lot. And it's really important to be present at the national level. That's very different in in an American situation where lots of universities are private universities who can make decisions by themselves. One thing that is also distinctive is that a lot of these projects are very much focused on the languages that are seen as the official languages in that country. So in the Netherlands, it's mainly Dutch, also some English. And that is, of course, something that can be difficult for those of us who work on languages that have different features. And it means that what is being developed for English and Dutch is not necessarily useful to us. So if all the money goes to these kinds of projects, it will only develop certain fields. It won't do much for those of us who do Arabic or Hebrew or Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Swahili, whatever else. Excellent. I look forward to continuing our discussion on that further. For now, I was also wondering which specific challenges and opportunities the digital humanities provide for you as a scholar in Chinese history and Chinese studies. There certainly are differences for people in Chinese history. For example, we do have more full-text material available because material was printed and because both the Chinese government as well as the Taiwanese government have invested quite substantially in the digitization of printed materials. We have a, a lot of material to work with already, and that is perhaps somewhat different, say, from people working on medieval European history. But by and large, I think the opportunities and the challenges are comparable. That is one of the nice things also about being involved in digital humanities. It may not matter so much what exactly your discipline is or what exactly the time period is that you're working on, that the methodologies are actually comparable, or at least that we can talk across disciplinary, geographical, or choral boundaries. Working digitally does provide advantages that perhaps are more difficult to come by when working in an analog environment, we can work with a much wider variety of of digital methods. And that ranges from something that is very quantitative, like say topic modeling methods, uh, hardcore statistics, to things that are actually by now also more about digital storytelling. So there is, I think, still somewhat of a misconception that digital equals quantitative and exclusively that. I think that is not the case. To what extent do you incorporate um, digital humanities into the classroom? And are there any particular challenges that you've encountered in your teaching when it comes to working with digital methods? I've encountered those at, at two levels. At first, in my own teaching, and then secondarily also as um, sort of the founding chair of, of the Center for Digital Humanities, one of the Uh, tasks that came with that was to set up a minor. However you want to define digital humanities, for me it was important that two things were part of of the program. The first being that digital humanities involves a familiarity, an ability to work digitally. That meant becoming familiar with a wide array of digital research methods computational methods. But the second one is that it was also important for our students to become familiar with critical theory about digital media. So that reflection upon what the digital does to us as human beings, to our environments, and to our research and teaching. So what is the answer to this, I think, in the short run? Collaboration. When I teach primary source-related courses, I include, alongside all the other uh, methodologies that we teach as, as part of that course, also digital methods, and we do that week by week, just exposing students to some of these 
And it does not mean that they will be able to get to the bottom of all of these within one course, but they will have gotten some basic idea of what this means, what it can do, what the pros and cons are. We want students to have an awareness of available methodologies, but also the ability to evaluate what are the pros and cons, what am I getting out of this, what is missing. You've emphasized the importance of collaboration, and I kind of want to follow up on that. Maybe now we could speak about some of your research projects. How important was collaboration for these research projects? For example, I think you were involved in creating Marcus, a text analysis tool. How important was collaboration when you worked on Marcus and other research projects you were or are currently working at? It's essential. Without collaboration, this would not have come into being. I would not have been able to do this by myself, but also the computer scientist who was part of co-designing this would not have come up with this by himself. And essentially what we did is to generalize the methodology that I had come up with for a very specific research question into something that could be useful for people working with, in this case, Chinese text material. By now we're doing it for Korean as well. And it has kept developing sort of in the way it was conceived. We give workshops and then a lot of people say, well, why isn't that there? And I want to do this and why isn't that there? And then we, we keep customizing it to the kind of interest or, or the workflows that humanities researchers actually use. The digital humanities community emphasizes that uh, knowledge should be accessible to everyone. What do you think about digital publications? Um, when you work on a digital humanities project, how do you make sure that the academic community has access to the research output? This is actually quite a difficult question because when I think about it in an ideal world, you would say, yes, you do want everything to be available. We talked earlier about challenges, and I want to go back to that for a second, some of the challenges are not at all intellectual. Some of the challenges are finances, infrastructure, servers. And this is where I think some of those aspirations sometimes cannot be met. I think there, there is still space for publishers in this world, even though I think we should make sure that there's more transparency so that we are not spending too much of our money on particular publishers who ask for ridiculous amounts of money. One of our PhD students just finished a, a dissertation that clearly shows that anything that's published open access is more visible, gets read more. But are those going to be given the same weight as traditional publication and traditional journal? We can't, we can't guarantee that that's going to be the case. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Price Lab for Digital Humanities at the University of Pennsylvania. We thank Michael and Vicki Price and the Mellon Foundation for their generous support.